bees. In a world with no bees. <laughs> no bees. No bees. <laughs> You're listening to Girls Gone Canon, covering his dark materials. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, his dark materials, the book series, episode 10, The Subtle Knife, chapters 3 and 4. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Arithmetric on Twitter. And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter and Tumblr. Well, everyone, we're here. We're returning to The Subtle Knife. And I mean, like, if you don't know what's happening yet, for some reason you just jumped into our Subtle Knife episodes, we are doing a His Dark Materials reread with Re in uh, parentheses. Because we do this first part with the chapters without spoilers, and then we have a dust discussion where we talk about information from all three of the books, and then usually we have a dustiest discussion where Chloe talks about everything from all of the things, but now I kept my promise and I finished La Belle Sauvage, so in between the dust discussion and the dustiest discussion, we have a dustier discussion that is just for me. This is getting a little out of hand, Eliana. You should just start like wiping things down with some paper towel. Probably. Not, not just a paper towel, you know, like straight up wipes. Yeah, some Windex maybe? I don't know, something. Eliana, you get to get dusty with me. I do. That's kind of exciting, but... A bit dusty, only a bit, a yeah, smidge. Yeah, only a little. You have to bail afterwards so that I can get us as dusty as it gets, the dustiest discussion where I talk about the Secret Commonwealth, which I am, like, very, very excited about the Secret Commonwealth right now, you guys, because I'm rereading it for the very first time since I first read it. Uh, I can't wait for Eliana to finish... Well, start it, I guess, right? You have to start it, Yeah, maybe. step one. Step one by the book. Uh, but I am going to get to talk to some very good friends about it before Eliana and I talk about it with you guys. And that is for our Patreon episode this month. For those of you that may not know, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. $5 and up patrons every other month get a special His Dark Materials episode. And every other other month, our patrons get in a Song of Ice and Fire special episode. That's $5 patrons and up that get that. And this month we are doing a Secret Commonwealth general chit-chat. Of worlds colliding, if you will, with her Dark wow. Materials as Faye. And also Ian and Amy from the Dark Material podcast. Yes, I'm so excited for you and also kind of jealous. But, you know, this is my own fault. Because not only have I not read the Secret Commonwealth, I am abandoning Chloe. <laughs> Yes, Eliana is abandoning me. She is going on her own trip to seek out the secret commonwealth, and she will be gone just for a hot second, but that's okay. You guys probably won't notice since this comes out towards the end of the month. We will be back next month in March with some more Subtle Knife for you. So patrons are not the only ones that will get this episode. We are going to share. Our patrons are being very awesome and sharing with the public this month. So you guys can all hear about the Secret Commonwealth on March 6th, I believe. We're going to be releasing that. Yes. And 
Um, until then, you know, here in this episode, we are going to be talking about chapters three and four, chapter three, A Children's World, and chapter four, Trepanning. Yes, and after that comes our discussions of many sorts. But first, I have to pull this awesome tweet. Uh, our friend Candid59, friend and patron, found this great tweet exchange between Philip Pullman and Julia Muhammad on Twitter, where Julia says, I feel like I know your answer, but I'm asking anyways. I can't get the thought out of my mind. Is there a chance we'll be seeing Will in the third volume of The Book of Dust? Philip Pullman responded with, I can't tell you that yet, but perhaps you'd guess that. Ooh. I'm going to go ahead and say this confirms it. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to expect. I only have one thing that I keep telling Chloe, and I'm just like, is it going to be the Final Fantasy ten to perfect ending, or is it going to just yes. be like a video sphere? I don't know. I don't know. Well, in our discussion, we are definitely going to talk about a couple of things that Eliana's going to say today that she has no clue. You guys, like, she has no clue the thing she's saying, but yet she's inspiring me already. I'm, like, mind blown. I think I have the whole next book figured out. It's great. So, <laughs> without further ado, without further ado, <laughs> we will get into the first chapter, which is a children's world where Lyra is waking up from a horrible dream. She dreamed about the severed head of Grumman. Stanislaus Grumman in its flask and she kept trying to open the flask terrified she does and there's nothing inside of it she wakes up crying and sweating and she's in someone else's bed with someone else's pillow and Pan is nuzzling her she remembers how eager she was to see the severed head when she was a kid and uh, now war-torn and exhausted the difference between it and then when she asked the alethiometer like what did my dream mean the alethiometer just sasses her and is like, it's a dream about a head. And I'm like, damn, damn, bruh. I like the way she kind of, she treats the alethiometer because the alethiometer seems to be more like a person, if anything, a consciousness. Yeah, and that really comes through much more in these two chapters and it uh, it's something that's discussed quite a bit. I do kind of appreciate the idea that, you know, sometimes dreams are just dreams, but, you know, it's a story. And you don't, like, throw in dreams usually for no reason, even though everyone else in the world, for the most part, dreams for no reason. I mean, there's probably a real reason why we do it, but it doesn't mean anything, you know? Yeah, I've heard that if you take a lot of vitamin B, you can have huh. really lucid dreams, like, that you'll really remember them a lot easier. I remember a lot of my dreams for the most part, especially like the morning after and then I remember. There's some some intense ones I remember. But right now, Lyra maybe kind of feels that way. Not quite. She almost wakes up the strange boy because she had, I don't know, a bad dream or is hungry. And then she's like, no, I'm going to just make the omelet on my own. She burns it. She proudly eats it, even with all the shell bits. <sighs> when I read shell bits and all... Like, the phrase, she ate it, shell bits and all, and I was just like, <sighs> I mean, been there. Like, I remember probably the first time I learned to cook, cook, quote unquote. Uh, I remember I had, like, a home at class when I was in sixth or seventh grade when I really learned, you know, this is how you make an egg, not just, like, pour the cereal in a bowl. Uh, <laughs> so this, I totally relate. You know, I get you, Lyra. I get you. I, I do not understand. <laughs> I struggle. To understand so much the about Lyra in this chapter. <laughs> My poor okay, well, girl. not everyone makes fucking like crazy ass steamed eggs every day. Okay, Lyra's just trying. 
I fucked up my Steam Deck this past weekend anyway. See? Don't be mean to Lyra. She's just doing the best But she there can. were no shelves. Christ. It's her first time on her own. Oh Have you ever had to move out when you're 13 years old? Settle down. That's true. That That is, in fact, true. But Will wakes Will. up. He doesn't want to share this <laughs> meal want, with Lyra. He, he does not want, wish to share. He looks at it and he's like, no. I'll pass. <laughs> I'll pass. He gets milk and cereal. Speaking of milk and cereal, instead, he notes that the milk expiration means it can't be too long that the city's been empty. And he's like, how did you get in here? She tells him about the foggy bridge that her father created and the cliff she and Pan wound up on where they were eating berries, which is a fruit eating reference for those mm. keeping track at home. Interesting. I didn't think to keep track of these, but I definitely, definitely interesting. Now um, I am. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. oh. And then Lyra and Pan said that they saw the city and came down after that. And now here they are. Will and Lyra confirm after talking with one another that this is not, in fact, an extension of their own worlds. And Will's like, all right, cool. So that's like at least three worlds that we know of. And Lyra's like, hair flip. There's like a million. <laughs> <laughs> she learned it from a witch. She Actually, the witch's demon, Kaiza. <laughs> I love that this is such like a kid brag. You know how little kids are like, well, my dad said that if I do this, well, my dad said that. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I learned it from Kaisa, you know? Dude, Lyra's like the master of that. That's like her favorite thing in the world to do. My father had a sword fight. What? And now she's like, my father blew open the doors to all of the worlds like she literally says no one could get from one to another before my father made this bridge and i'm just like okay <laughs> okay lyra, <laughs> lyra settle down yeah because will basically says the same thing he's like but what about the window that i saw and lyra's like i don't know okay whatever my dad could beat up your dad <laughs> and, lyra stop yeah. overcompensating for him he's not worth it he's not he's not she uh <laughs> she tells Will she's looking for what in her world is an experimental theologian and might be the same in his Oxford. She plans to go to Jordan College through his Jordan, and she explains to him experimental theology is all about elementary particles and fundamental forces and ambaromagnetism. He's like, um, do you mean electricity? That's what that is in my world, I think. And they start to understand each other a little bit. He tells her she seeks scientists in his world, not theologians. Yeah, I didn't include, I guess, uh, the part where both Lyra and Will, we had discussed it in a previous episode, exchange the electrum versus amber and, and baric and electric. Um, iconic scene, to be honest. Uh, I also want to note that as I was starting this book series uh, for this reread, I hit up one of my friends who actually went to divinity school and like studied theology uh, for his thoughts on his dark materials. And he was just like, oh yeah, I remember reading that a long time ago. He's like, there's those re- weird passages. And then he was just like, not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the story. <laughs> he was not helpful. Nice, nice guy. <laughs> anyway, they hear a child's voice in the harbor. But the place that they're in is still a ghost town. They're bewildered. And then suddenly these two kids appear. There's a girl who's maybe like, I don't know, 12 to 13, and a younger boy. So Pan flips into being a mouse from being his goldfinch and hides up in her pockets because they're like, oh my god, these children don't have any visible demons. The children bring baskets and sit at a table near Will and Lyra. The girl asks if they're from Chitagaze or Santalia. Santalia's modern city design is really 
something that popped out to me when I read this. So me and you have discussed, obviously, you know, the Magpie City. We know that's what Chitagaze stands for, is the Magpie City. But I didn't ever notice. Are you guys from Chitagaze or Santalia? I never noticed that because Antonio Santalia, uh, he did tons of modern city design. And he actually made one beautiful work and he had no completed physical pieces which i think is crazy this guy never had anything erected or come to life uh, but he had beautiful sketches about futuristic works and one of his works was la Chita nuova the new city uh, this was around 1914 and he really front ran all of Italian architecture with futurist uh, movement. The futurist movement basically was an industrialized and mechanized future look where he just imagined cities as machinery, right? Like cities already have so much going on within them. And it really reminds me a lot of what Tana Ford said when we were watching His Dark Materials season one with regards to Will's house in the show with how Will's mom has all these oddly placed openings in their house at the stairwell, and she counts all the planks on the walls, and how it all looks like long vertical slices separating it from the rest of the planks, and how there's missing walls and holes, and you see sections of stairwell and rooms through each other. Uh, it's very, very modern, and uh, we're going to have to post this. Maybe on our Patreon and on Twitter we'll post it. Please log on and check it out to see the pieces Massaggio and La Cita Nuova, there's something that he actually had said in a book once where Santalia was quoted saying, The problem of modern architecture is not a problem of rearranging its lines, not a question of finding new moldings, new architraves for doors and windows, but to raise the new built structure on a sane plane, gleaning every benefit of science and technology, rejecting all that is heavy, grotesque and unsympathetic to us in tradition, style, aesthetics, and proportion. So it's almost like very, very just nothing fancy, nothing deco. I mean, if you go to a city, you'll see the remains, like in Philadelphia, you see remains of beautiful art deco, but you also see industrialism popping up everywhere. And Santalia saw this future where this is what would happen to cities and what they would need. Now, the irony here is that Chitagatse has become stagnant, the complete opposite of what Santalia's vision is with futurism, and the great ambitions have failed them. The city is pretty much gone right now. This city would be lively in almost any other setting, something that was really made clear in the last chapter that we talked about. But right now, with the specters and only the children, the city's dead. There are no futurism ambitions here. Yeah, there's like potential for it, but I mean, maybe, who knows, who knows what's going to happen with the children. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, and, and I think this was such a great catch. Like we had discussed during the show season, some of those nods to MC Escher and like the intro sequence. And I think you can see some of the similar styles in terms of the usage of lines, etc. And what they've created. And like now as I read this chapter with what you've brought up and like, Especially with the technology and everything that comes in the next chapter, I can't, I can't help but think, how are they going to adapt this in the show? Like, obviously, we know that they're gonna in some way, but it's just so interesting to think about like what it's gonna look like. I'm just very excited. I know they are actually building the set, so this wow. is a built set inside the Cardiff Studios, the Bad Wolf Studios, which they've created a ton of amazing sets. You know, they did a lot of the Doctor Who stuff. Uh, I'm really excited to see what they build for this, but it's like, it's very private. Like, we aren't seeing it at all. 
Mm. Will and Lyra learn that the adults are gone because of the specters, which we started talking about, and continue asking questions that reinforce to Angelica and Paolo that they are not from here. Uh, and for some reason, they just like don't get it the first time when Lyra and Will explain. And then they talk about how they're, they have an older brother, Tulio, who is doing something very secret, and it involves getting something, and Angelica keeps shushing hmm. her brother about it. Lyra and Will can't see the specters, though, because they aren't grown up. We have an explanation here of how specters work. When a specter catch a grown-up, that's bad to see. They eat the life out of them there and then, all right. I don't want to be a grown-up for sure. At first, they know what's happening, and they're afraid. They cry and cry. They try and look away and pretend it ain't happening, but it is. It's too late, and no one ain't gonna go near them. They on their own. Then they get pale, and they stop moving. They're still alive, but it's like they've been eaten from the inside. You look in the eyes, and you see the back of their heads. Ain't nothing there. <sighs> Man. Specters, that's too real. Do you ever think about how fortunate it was for Lyra and Will that Angelica and Paola, like, happened to speak the same language as them? Yeah, it's pretty, English. uh, not to bring up Doctor Who, actually, again, speaking of, but, like, the TARDIS in Doctor Who, you know, translates. Mm. So, no matter where you go with the TARDIS, which can go anywhere in all of space and time, uh, no matter where you go, you understand. So, I'm kind of like, maybe, maybe the alethiometer's doing them a solid. Maybe they don't know. Maybe the alethiometer's translating in their brains. I mean, maybe. I, I just, like, didn't really think about it until now. I'm like, it's pretty yeah. fortunate for them. Pretty fortunate everyone speaks English, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you might hear us talk about this on our Patreon episode for the Secret Commonwealth, because I feel like there's a little bit of, like, a similar feeling. Uh, I don't know if it's, like, melancholy or what it is, but it, it, that similar, like, sadness of adulthood. And holy shit, though. Do the specters resemble adulthood, my friends? Holy shit. Like, this is this is how I felt this morning. I, like, drove to work today, and I sat in the parking lot in my car, and I just stared at the building, and I was like, guess I gotta go in. Yeah. I mean, there are days that I do feel like that, but there are some days that I'm just like, I don't know. Being an adult is pretty great for me, because my childhood sucked, and Angelica here says, whatever fuck these kids let's go get some ice cream and as an adult now i can just be like whatever i want to go get some fucking ice cream that's pretty great see i can't always go get ice cream though i mean obviously there are times that i can't always get ice cream but i don't gotta ask anyone permission to eat ice cream that's true well gotta ask your wallet but if your wallet's like it's cool girl you could be like i'm getting that ice cream yeah exactly and then you can also end after you get the ice cream, like Paolo, who ends the exchange with, Kill the Spectres! <laughs> he just shouts that back at them, Kill the Spectres! Fucking love kids, man. Gotta love them. <laughs> Doesn't even know what he's talking about. Um, Sinagase is so interesting, and we'll see it a little bit more later. And it's, it's like a warped Garden of Eden, right? We were talking in some episode at some point, I think maybe at the end of the Historic Materials Season 1. Uh, about like this idea of the movable garden of eden yes right and you kind of have that here with sitagaze sorry sorry uh for closing chitagaze and um in some ways with like the way angelica and bala act there's like something that kind of feels like the lord of the flies oh yeah 
it, it's the garden, you know, there's abundance, there's a sort of providence and like, yeah, there's food here. Uh, and you don't have to do much. You just have to reach in and eat it like the milk and the cereal, the Coke that Lyran will have. And then of course, instead of apples, the kids are like, yeah, whatever, I can just eat ice cream. But of course, uh, you could be Lyra and put eggs in eggshells <laughs> in your omelets, whatever. But, you know, I think whatever. you're out of something there, especially though that there's no adults and like, they're like, ah, I can just reach on in. But the price that was paid for that was the specters. Yeah. Yikes. And the souls of adults. So I hope every kid that's ever happy I hope any kid that's ever happy in their whole life, I get to look at them in the eyes and just stare at them. Be like, one day, you two can have ice cream whenever you want. Yeah. But what will it cost you? <laughs> will it cost you your soul, kid? I don't know. See, for adults, sometimes getting out of your house to go get ice cream might cost you your soul. You don't know. So Will gets another surprise when Christ. Pan speaks. And he's like, what the fuck? A talking fucking ferret. Um, and he's like, Pan's like, the children didn't know about the window. Be careful about exposing it. We get like this mild exposition about demons through Will's surprise about the demons talking. And he's trying to sort out how it is both Lyra and not Lyra. He's like, okay, it looks like it's not Lyra. Like it looks like an animal, but it's talking in part of Lyra's voice. Uh, instead of trying to think too hard about it, though, he tells Lyra to get other clothes if she's going to go into the world because she does not look like she fits in. Yeah, and by this he means, like, his his Oxford. Will's Oxford. You got to look as if you fit in. You got to go about camouflage. I know, see, I've been doing it for years. You better listen to me or you'll get caught. And if they find out where you come from and the window and everything, well, this is a good hiding place, this world. See, I'm... I gotta hide from some men. This is the best hiding place I could dream of, and I don't want it found out. So I don't want you giving it away by looking out of place or as if you don't belong. I got my own things to do in Oxford, and if you give me away, I'll kill you. Yikes. Will. Ch Will. Again. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> I mean, he is an intense kid. Yeah. Right? Like, all notions aside, and I mean, even his physical appearance is intense like we talked about last time like Pullman totally gives him these stark dark eyebrows and this jawline and like this angry face and this kid that's holding all of this pain and fear in his heart you know uh but they're both intense kids I mean Lyra's the same way she's like a feral cat charging at him in the dead of night and constantly I'm just sitting here and I'm like where are your fucking parents even though we all know where they are but like yes. where are your fucking parents no spoilers <laughs> I'll kill you. Okay, anyways. And Lyra, I mean, she believes him. She's like, wow, he'd really fucking do it. I believe it. <laughs> Sexy, what a murderer. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh no. Lyra's uh, like, I love the way your vein just popped when you said you were going to murder me. <laughs> Will explains that to Ben Blendon. Lyra has to clean up. And Lyra's like, I've never washed my own hair. Um, what? Yes, I, I just want, I, I, we need to take a pause. Never. Right now. I mean, I no. don't do it often, but... But her, you do your own when you do it. I mean, yeah. She's never done it. Uh, the yeah. quote says uh, that she gives is, The housekeeper done it at Jordan, and then I never needed to after that. After that. <laughs> what, what does she mean? What's never needed? I, that, that is my question. I'm like, I don't understand what she means by this, because, like, is she telling us that somehow she never needed to wash her hair while with the Egyptians? Also, we saw Mrs. Coulter wash her at one point, but I, I'm confused here. Hmm. She did wash at uh, um, 
Azrael's laboratory, but I still am just like, th- did she just not wash up? I guess the, the seal skins like keep it all in. Yeah, but she said those smelled bad, and now I understand yeah, why. Of course, because Lyra was like, "What do I? I don't gotta wash." Dude, wasn't she like rolling around in bear poop like two episodes ago? Oh, that's true. I'm just saying, she's probably really gross. And that's like, true. Uh, but I do want to point out the real MVP of that sentence. One of my favorite characters, the housekeeper. Yeah. At Jordan. Anyways, moving on. Favorite character. I I mean, the way that we're reacting to all of this, Will's just like, uh, all right, too bad you're going to have to learn how to wash your hair. But I, you, I'm sure on the inside, he's just like, surprise Pikachu. Like, what? <laughs> what, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't know how to wash your hair? And yet Pan is over here being fucking indignant. He's a little rat and he's just staring at Will like, what of it? Yeah, what? What? Also, <laughs> Imagine Pan as the Ariana Grande gif. And what about it? And what about it? Also, I like that Pan is a rat in this. He's a dirty rat too, just like Lyra. That's my animal corner analysis. Pan's like, I can't deal with this right now. Will cleans the rest of the house, and he wants to open his green writing case that has letters in it. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to put off reading them till I take Lyra to my world. Then I'm going to read them finally. Yes, they take Lyra shopping. And she refuses to wear pants because no one has taught Lyra that gender is a construct yet. It's improper for a lady of scholarship. God. I mean, like, yes, Lyra. She'll rebel against everything except for the gender norms. I mean, but also, maybe she just likes skirts and dresses, man. Anyone ever think about that? The show I mean, didn't really go into it, but the she show was like, it. here's pants. That's true. And I guess it makes sense it there. Because that was all, like, Ma Casa had there. She was literally wearing Ma Casa's overalls. <laughs> yeah, which I think was a great look. It was. Will takes this time to teach Lyra looting is bad. And Lyra threatens Will, like, if you keep behaving like a grown-up, you're going to be vulnerable to the specters, but also she just made that up. But she's not, like, wrong. I mean, you're right. She isn't. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that, I'm sure, another day. Chitagatse has beautiful buildings, but they're old, and the city is falling apart. It's a city of architectural band-aids. Will and Lyra are drawn to a tower in a little square, and they move on, looking for a cafe to serve as a landmark for the window. Will's like, you'll know it when you see it, and the risotto is now rotting. That's how they know it. Yeah. They're like, I remember this risotto. It used to be fresh. And then they find the window, and this time Lyra is the surprised one. On the other side, Lyra hears traffic, but she doesn't really understand what's going on. Will's like, lucky you. No, he doesn't say that. That's me. Um, <laughs> Will actually explains uh, the time of day being too busy, but that night is too difficult in terms of finding places to go to keep hidden. The other side doesn't really look like Lyra's Oxford, so she kind of doubts it for a minute, but then they cross. And then she almost gets hit by a car immediately. Mood. <laughs> Who has it? Right? Exactly. It's just how I'm going to put it out there. We live in cities. Yeah. As people gather and wonder about Lyra's safety, Will lies that uh, she's his sister. Will and Lyra try to leave ASAP, but they need to be witnesses in the insurance claims for all of this. And he's like, "Mm, I'm Mark Ransom. And this is my sister, Lisa. And he doesn't give them their postcode, which I will I will explain to you if you are not from England, that a postcode 
what we think of as just like a zip code in your general area in the US, my understanding is that a postcode is like literally your house or something. In mm. England, it's like a very special, unique little code that is just you and your abode. Someone explain it to me. I think that that seems like I think that was an explanation. It's all right. And then Will's like, I do not have time for this. I said good day. And then just bolts. They pass the hornbeam trees again and Lyra, she's like a bit hurt, but she's not that hurt. She's like, I'm fine. She checks on the alethiometer and Will's like, excuse me, what is this like fancy ass thing that you have? (laughs) (laughs) Will warns Lyra, okay, you know, at this time, don't get hit by a bus. Also, don't get lost. Because then people will realize that you're not from this world, as though that is the biggest problem when one is hit by a bus. Or worse, expelled. (laughs) That's That's all I thought of. Actually will right now. Yep. He doesn't super get why he's angry. He just knows he's mad. And he's like, fine, we'll just, we'll pretend you're my sister and I can show you how to cross roads without getting killed. Which is literally, the the quote is, I can show you how to cross roads without getting killed. What a good brother. I love that they learn, they each offer the other like some sort of new knowledge or experience points that they might want to like imbibe in, right? Maybe they should try to trust each other. Their relationship is really built well. When you think about how Will behaves with Lyra and put it in relation to how he behaves to his mom, Will's relating to Lyra the only way he knows how, by stepping in as this protector role. He sees Lyra's beat up and hungry and dirty and tired and weird, and he knows that he, too, is also beat up, hungry, dirty, tired. So they both realize that for now, this is kind of what they have. Yeah. Two misfits in the world. Many worlds. Lyra proves that she has money by shaking out literally gold coins. She's like, I'm fine. And Will's like, oh my god, we're fucked. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? You just have cold coins. And then Lyra's like, okay, cool. Lisa, I get it. But what if I just kept going by Lizzie? I've gone by that name before. And then Lyra worries that, oh, I kind of look a little bit abused after being hit by a car and this bruise where Will hit her because they literally fought when they first met. <laughs> And then Will's, like, worried that the police are going to notice it. Which, I mean, obviously all of Will's concern has to do with his upbringing. We we talk about, you know, as, as Chloe was just saying, you know, how he had to be a protector with his mother. And part of that was protecting her from, like, I guess, the authorities. Because, you know, he does think about the prospect of if it's going to look like child abuse. Because he was worried about his own family looking like neglect and being taken away. Yeah, this is uh this is something he's used to. It's really sad, yeah. actually, when you put it in those terms. And that's why they're so important to each other. Man. Man <laughs> Imagine having the best characters. God. Uh Will is like, alright, I need to get some money out because, you know, A, we don't have much time to keep getting money out. The authorities will be on to us soon. And B this bitch has gold coins. <laughs> so he tries to take his money out and the whole process, he's like, am I going to get caught? And Lyra's like, this is magic. You mean you just press a button and that's how you read this machine, which tells you how much money you have. <laughs> She's like, mine just accesses me. That's true. I wonder how like 
This is another one of those things that I wonder how it's going to go in the show, right? Obviously, like, there were ATMs at this time, but... Oh, it's going to be so there's just, funny. Like, so, there's so many things that are way more, like, followed now, you know? Now anyway. that you say that, though, it's going to be the funniest shit in the world. I can see it's Daphne so Keene and him and her just sassy and be like, why do you do that? But it's why does it do so that, good. though? But why'd you do that, though? Like, so stupid. And then he's going to be so annoyed. Ugh, exactly. I so can't good. wait. What what a relationship. A friendship. I'm so excited. As they go through Oxford, Lyra's like, this is the same. This is different. This is different. This is the same. But then she realizes there's no Jordan. That's what's different about Oxford. This is a whole different Oxford. Yeah, it finally sinks in for her. And here's a, here's the quote for that. I wanted to call it out. He wasn't prepared for Lyra's wide-eyed helplessness. He couldn't know how much of her childhood had been spent running about streets almost identical with these and how proud she'd been of belonging to Jordan College, whose scholars were the cleverest, whose coffers the richest, whose beauty the most splendid of all. And now, it simply wasn't there. And she wasn't Lyra of Jordan anymore. She was a lost little girl in a strange world belonging nowhere. Well... She said shakily, if it ain't here, it was going to take longer than she'd thought. That was all. That's my girl. You'll find it, honey. What a blow. God, what a sad ending to the chapter. I mean, this is the only thing Lyra knows. She's in a strange world with this strange kind of nice guy, and Jordan's gone. It's just gone. This is like Harry not going back to Hogwarts, right? Unspeakable. Aww. But- Speaking of Will being a strange boy, I think we need to talk about the mulef, I mean, the elephant <clears throat> oh. in the room, which is that Roger's fucking dead, right? Remember him, guys? Don't move on fast. I've seen all of you replace Roger in your hearts with Will already. I've seen every one of you listening to this <laughs> podcast in your rooms, at work, in your earbuds, in your fucking car, and you're like, Roger? Who the fuck was Roger? Yeah, Roger's dead. And Lyra has lost not only Roger, she's now lost her home, and she's stuck with some guy, and she's lost. She doesn't even know what she's doing. She spent her whole life being an active little shit, running circles around adults, knowing everything, being the biggest know-it-all, playing tricks on people, and this is where her psyche is blown up. She's left home. She's been kicked out of home. She's unable to get home. Now she knows nothing. She's realized she's had it wrong the whole time. Between this and Spectres, dude, I feel you, Lyra. Girl, I feel you. Yeah. Everything she thought she knew about the world doesn't hold true in this one. That's life, homie. And so that takes us to chapter four. Trepanning. This chapter starts with Will calling his father's lawyer to find out if he's still alive, but turns out 12-year-olds don't have a lot of legal power. Also, why Will... I know you're trying to trust someone, but I think the big thing here is don't trust adults. Yeah, that's true. Never trust anyone over 30. Unless me. they're friends with Lyra. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. But also, I mean, I, get, I can see why he's like, I'm protected by... The law. Confidentiality? By client... Okay, client but you're supposed to have confidentiality yeah. with God, too, and we see how that's gone for this whole series. 
That's true. Also, he's 12 years old, so yeah. who knows like what sort of legal power he has. The lawyer asks him questions, and Will's like, uh, so can you tell me this very confidential information that you are legally not supposed to just divulge over the phone, over this pay phone, or not? And the lawyer, for obvious reasons, is like, I first need proof that you are <laughs> who you say you are. Also, I don't know if he's alive or not. And then Will's like, okay, but what about all the money that's been coming in? And he's like, Will, I'm going to lay it out for you for a second. You are a trust fund baby. <laughs> Your father has vanished. <sighs> Will's like, okay, but wait, how? And the lawyer's like, do you read the news? Like, do you do you have a newspaper? Do you get a newspaper? It's in the news, dude. Look up the I mean, newspaper. It was the year he was born, but he's still, he was like, everyone fucking knew. <laughs> yeah. He's also like you, of all people, 12-year-old boy, should know this news by now. And this is like one of those things that's that's going to have to probably be a little different in the show because like, what, are they just going to be like, yeah, they're going to be like, why didn't you just fucking Google it, Will? <laughs> yeah, with all this technology and your smartphones, why didn't you just find Lord Boreal and a anyways, um, as I say, it's a matter of public record. There were several newspaper stories at the time. You know he was an explorer. My mother's told me some things, yes. Well, he was leading an expedition, and it just disappeared. About ten years ago, maybe more. Where? The far north. Alaska, I think. You can look it up in the public library. Why don't you... And then the payphone. <laughs> Will's collect call, I guess, or whatever, just runs out. He's at a payphone! The urge to call his mom... It's very tempting, and he decides to send a postcard instead to assure her that he is fine and safe. And he writes, Dear Mum, I am safe and well, and I will see you again soon. I hope everything is all right. I love you, Will. Oh, What a good boy. He's a good boy. I love him. That was so sweet. I wouldn't have written my mom. <laughs> well, maybe now you'll think about it, and maybe next time you will. That's true, I just silenced her Facebook call. <laughs> I was like, Mom, I'm recording! <laughs> I actually did that, everyone. Just oh. Will himself then tries to vanish because he's playing hooky from school. You have this quote that I love. Will could vanish easily enough because he was good at it. He was even proud of his skill. Like Serafina Pecola on the ship, he simply made himself part of the background. Mm. Yes, it's like everything we were saying last episode. We've had a lot of discussion about this, and more to come, for sure. While sure. Will is buying school supplies, Lyra struggles to find somewhere to sit and look at her lithiometer. She struggles to read other things, like smash chewing gum, stoplights. She finds finally a college that she recognizes, which even has Simon Parslow's initials she saw scrawled. There might be a Simon Parslow in this world. Perhaps there was a Lyra. A chill ran down her back, and mouse-shaped panelamen shivered in her pocket. She shook herself. There were mysteries enough without imagining more. Hmm, I do love this, because Simon Parslow, I mean, we know that last name, right? We do, and that makes me super sad. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> he was friends with uh, Lyra and Roger, and it isn't said that he's related, but I'm guessing he's actually somehow like cousins, which, not the only cousin of Roger Parslow in, uh, in Jordan, believe it or not. That's not the true. only. That's true. I digress. 
So Lyra is surprised that this Oxford that she's visiting is in fact very multicultural. And again, that women dress like men, according to her. And I I don't know, it's something that I find interesting, right? Because, yeah, some of these cities in England, right, are are multicultural like London very much is of course Oxford not the the Oxford not as much right like the percentages are a little different but it's not too far but it it makes me think of the whether or not the British Empire exists in Lyra's world the way that it did in ours and what the time frame of the story is right because there was a period of time where a lot of people immigrated to to Britain, from my understanding, because the British Commonwealth was accepting people from across the empire, across all of the different territories, and that fueled that immigration and that multiculturalism. And then within this story, right, the way that Lyra thinks of people, they're kind of referred to by ethnicity as opposed to race. Um, and it seems like she like has an idea of like maybe this is what someone would look like, and that is interesting to me because the social construct of race in the way that we think of it nowadays between like white and black and brown etc and and the way we think of that as opposed to through ethnic groups or ethnocultural groups etc was something that was developed specifically to reinforce white supremacy and chattel slavery which was a different kind of slavery that came up of course like especially with America right and and as a part of that system and like that inheriting of slavery and making people property within infinity. And I wonder that because maybe it didn't, especially with how the Americas don't exist in Lyra's world the same way that they do here, right? Mm -hmm. Texas is is its own country. Then you have a bunch of the other like conglomerates of states split up across America. It's not one huge like United States. So it almost makes me think, well, it might not have had like that economic system that was built on the backs of slaves in that same way. And so the way that people view each other within Lyra's world is more of like this xenophobia, if anything, if if that's what's going on here when it comes to ethnicities versus Mm -hmm. race. Well, and of course we know from our own followings of Pullman, but we know that he is not at all quiet when it comes to Brexit. Um, He's very vocal about that on the Twitter timeline. And it shows in his works. I mean, once you finally get through the secret Commonwealth, Eliana, I think it there very much so is going to be among the many oddities that he has to wrap up in the books of dust. I think the immigration and multiculturalism is a very big thing that is introduced, obviously now in these first three books, but I think really perpetuates the notion he wanted to travel to more lands with Lyra and wrap up more in this world. So hopefully you'll read it soon enough and we can... uh figure out some more because I have ideas like right now that I can't say out loud because I'll just spoil you and you won't be happy with me soon I shall I mean I'm not gonna lie there's a part of me that was like kind of like what if I just like didn't read the Belsa of Bosch and just read the secret commonwealth and found out what happened to Lyra but I know that's wrong yeah it wouldn't have been as special honestly like, I know I know um I mean because truly the Belle Sauvage I mean you get so sucked in it's not even you don't even think about Lyra yeah and she's just like a wee bab yeah but yeah, I, I mean, I I was just saying, it was, yes. a, it was a thought that briefly flitted through my mind. <laughs> and as, as you were saying, you know, like, it's not surprising that Pullman would be writing around those ideas, especially at, in this age of that anxiety around Brexit, like at the time that he was writing it, it 
the writing the book, I would assume it was being voted upon. Um, and, and now it's passed, you know, like they're trying to set limitations around it today. Like that was a big announcement and quite frankly, the limitations fucking suck. Yeah, absolutely. Lyra is at first afraid because no one has demons in this world. And then she decides, I guess they're just all inside of them, whatever. And then she buys chocolate and she thinks that the shopkeeper is looking at her funny because he is, and this is the quote, from the Indies hmm. and probably doesn't understand her accent is her, is her thought. But obviously it's really just that Lyra is using a fucking 20 pound note to buy a bar of chocolate. One bar <laughs> of chocolate. But also she is mildly healthy in that she buys a fruit somewhere. God, that guy's transaction average must really suck. Thanks, Lyra. Oh, he's like, this girl like, just tipped me a fucking lot. <laughs> she sits in front of a museum, which looks familiar to her as the buildings in her world. She decides to kind of go on a little field trip. She heads over to an exhibit that has Arctic history. And she's like, ooh, I know this stuff, right? She's getting comfy. But then she sees there's relics from every part of the world. Some of these relics uh, play on how the museums and historians tend to get some things wrong. And of course, on the alternate universe world. Yeah, this quote was super freaky. Those caribou skin furs were exactly the same as hers, but they tied the traces on the sledge completely wrong. But here was a photogram showing some Samoyed hunters, the very doubles of the ones who'd caught Lyra and sold her to Polvangar. Look! They were the same men! And even that rope had frayed and been renotted in precisely the same spot, and she knew it intimately, having been tied up in that very sledge for several agonizing hours. What were these mysteries? Was there only one world after all which spent its time dreaming of others? Dude... That is some crazy acid shit. <laughs> I know, I was like, Lyra, this is drugs! Tripping balls. Oh, <laughs> uh, This episode of The Twilight Zone is very freaky, and by that I mean that actually the alternate universe episode of The Twilight Zone is in fact freaky, as is most Twilight Zone episodes. But it, but, but it does raise interesting questions, right? Of like, how does timing work between all of these universes? That is a great question. How does it? Well... There's more stuff that feels familiar to Lyra than just that. Lyra sees an exhibit of skulls with holes in them, allegedly made when still alive, except for one with an arrowhead in it. She thinks this is what the Tartars do and what Stanislaus Grumman had done. She pulls out her alethiometer. It's her fancy smartphone. It's her Galaxy S9. And she does mm -hmm. a Google search about people with holes in their skulls. And while she does this, someone is watching her. Yes, the, the description is a powerful-looking man in his 60s. <sighs> Leave her alone. Get a job. Yeah. A real job. Not, like, fucking scamming <laughs> yeah, people out of their money, you fucking money-laundering asshole. Uh, he's wrinkly with pretty eyes and licks his lips a lot. Get a job. <sighs> Bringing it back. In his pocket is a handkerchief with a cologne that smells like a hothouse plant. There's a couple things at play here. Uh, if you guys are our patrons over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, you might remember our lantern slide episode. I'll give you a, a little peek now at what we talked about, which was about the lantern slides that exist as of the 2007 publishings in all three of the books. In The Subtle Knife, there is one that reads, 
Sir Charles Latram every morning applied two drops of floral oil to the center of a large silk handkerchief, which he then bundled and tucked into his top pocket in a meticulous imitation of carefree elegance. He couldn't have named the oil. He'd stolen it from a bazaar in Damascus, but the Damascus of another world, where flowers were bred for the flesh-like exuberance of their scent. As it developed through the day, the fragrance of the oil rotted like a meddler. Sir Charles would lean his head to the left and sniff appreciatively, perhaps too frankly, for the comfort of most companions. So the oil that Charles is wearing here, this man Charles, this old man, is a floral oil. It smells like dying flesh. And then a hothouse flower is a flower that's too weak to grow naturally and has to be grown in a greenhouse or a hothouse. So it's meta for a couple reasons. The fact he had to travel to other worlds to get it, obviously, uh, and a discussion reason that we can't talk about right now. Sorry, Eliana, you will not be involved in that one either. And of course, wow. because it's basically a high maintenance nod. Sir Charles Latram, a fancy schmancy knight in a couple worlds or whatever, and also a prick, but drives a fancy car, would absolutely positively have to wear the essence of a fancy ass oil that must be grown in super special circumstances. Yeah, and there's something weird about his fascination with one that smells... Yeah, deathly. Yeah. <laughs> Along with things that are weird about this this Sir Charles, the language that is used to describe him in this moment. He watched her closely, taking in all of her. Her rough, untidy hair, the bruise on her cheek, the new clothes, her bare neck arched over the alethiometer, her bare legs. He shook out the breast pocket handkerchief and mopped his forehead and then made for the stairs. Why Why is this the language? Predator. He is, and I'm like, this is not okay. It absolutely is very not predator okay. prey. Like, he's very much so preying on Lyra. The, the fact that he appears from a vantage point that she does not have any control over, that he's watching over her shoulder while she's doing something so intimate, which is reading the alethiometer. To me, that, like, feels like an intrusion. It feels gross. Yeah, absolutely. Let Lyra scroll her phone in peace. Right, and she's too busy scrolling to notice that he's creepy. She's reading, basically, and these skulls were unimaginably old. The cards in the case said simply, Bronze Age, but the alethiometer, which never lied, said the man whose skull it was had lived 33,254 years before the present day, and that he had been a sorcerer, and that the whole had been made to let the gods into his head. And then the alethiometer, in a casual way, like it sometimes had, of answering a question Lyra hadn't asked, added that there was a good deal more dust around the trepan skulls than around the one with the arrowhead. Hmm. Hmm. Is this almost like by opening it instead of stabbing and killing it? Like you let more more flies with honey and vinegar, you know? More dust? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the alethiometer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was just, you know, glad to be taken like on a field trip today. Oh no, I meant more dust if you put a hole in your head instead of stabbing your head. Oh. That also. A lot of things are better for you when you don't stab your head. Believe it or not. <laughs> or get hit by a bus. Mm, also true. Or expelled. <laughs> or worse. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and the alethiometer, as it says it now, is feeling talkative. I guess it was just, like, in a mood at the beginning of Chapter 3, right? With the children's world. Because, like, with all of this, it suddenly seems like, in fact... Yes, that dream was significant. 
as a lead-up to learning about skulls and dust and what else happens in this chapter. I just also kind of love this entire little segment of Lyra looking at artifacts again, like that tension of like how much is lost in terms of history and context that scholars do try to piece back together in general, right? And and sometimes they do so wrongly in their interpretations of history and what things are because of their biases. Uh, one fictional story that I enjoy that plays with this is called The Power, and I it's really fun in how it looks at the way current social structures inform the way that we interpret history, sometimes incorrectly. And a, an interesting real-life example that people are now like revisiting is the Venus of Villendorf, which is like this really, really, really old sculpture of like the female figure, and it dates from maybe around like closer to time, 30,000-ish BC, right? And so people thought it along for a long time it was like a fertility thing, right? Because of like the exaggerated breasts and roundness, etc. But then some women have realized, wait, the way that this figure looks, and if you look at it from the vantage point from above, it actually looks the way that a woman sees her body when she's pregnant and looking down. So like just like recentering the perspective with which we look at things in the past. Anyway, sorry tangent again. No, that's a great way to look at it, especially because it really does feel, and I mean past the main trilogy, feels like this is a super significant thing. Uh, the fact that everybody has this in history, just like this is when it happened, and it's not at all. Uh, it felt significant at the time on first read, and then later on we do learn it has some significance. So, and history's like yeah. that, man, because the rich people get to write it. I mean, the winners. I mean, the men. Right now, they just erase all the women's... Whatever. <sighs> so Lyra finally notices the creepy guy that's preying on her. They make small talk about the skulls. He jokes about hippies. He's like, you're too young, but drugs were more effective. Seriously, I told you. And Lyra's like, how do I get away from this old motherfucker? Mood. <laughs> they exchange names. His name is Charles. Her name is Lizzie McGuire. I mean... Lyra and Pan half remember something about a smell because of him of dung of putrefaction. Oh, there you go. There's your dying flowers. Yeah, that's the that's the actual quote and description of it. And it says that the smell reminds her of like Yofra Rackinson's palace, which is as mm. everyone remembers, full of poop. Which is where Lyra was, if you recall, for so long before she took and a shower. It, yeah, I was like, and did it wash her hair? Uh, uh. I appreciate the story, though, like using that description to signal to the reader, hey, something's off by drawing that connection between these characters. It is a very subtle, haha, subtle knife, oh. uh, way to do it, especially considering like he doesn't want to give away that this guy's bad. I'm going to spoil it for you. This guy's bad news, you guys. Uh, Lyra, <laughs> Lyra's like, I don't know, man, I'm really into skulls. You know, she's like, that's what I'm into. Yeah, she's like, I'm edgy. She clarifies, though, yes, skulls are cool, but I do not, in fact, want to put a hole in my head. And Sir Charles is like, want to meet someone who's done it, little girl? You go to my white van and find out. And Lyra, like, thinks about it for a second, and then he does that weird tongue thing again. She's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not, sir. As she leaves, he hands her his business card. His LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com yeah. slash Charles like, Latrum or slash Lord or I don't know, whatever you want yeah. to call this guy. He's like, do you want to just tap phones against one another? Oh my 
God. Finally, Lyra's like, I'm going to ask about finding scholars. And she gets directed to a specific room. And the alethiometer is having a mood again. It's like, I'm talkative. And it tells her, you must concern yourself with the boy. Your task is to help him find his father. Put your mind to that. I think it's important to note that, like, yes, Lyra heeds the warning, but I don't think she really, like, actually listens right away. I think she waits a little bit until, you know, she realizes she should be listening to it. That's true. And I mean, it's not like it isn't like a fortune teller, right? It's like, this would be good for you to do if mm-hmm. you fucking did it. Lyra's like, Will? That, that kid? He's important? Interesting. The murderer? Yeah, she's like, I thought he was a rando. Only <laughs> I am important. The lithiometer has one more thing to add, which is do not lie to the scholar. And so she goes off to go find the scholar. And Will Will actually, in fact, uses the internet. This is not me making fun of things. He's in a library, and he's using the internet to find newspapers from the year of his birth. It's on these rolls of microfilm, which I assume we're not going to do in the televised version of this. Because it is not the 90s and we don't use laser discs. Catch Will downloading WinRarer, WinZip. He's out there. He's oh like 7-Zip. He's like, let me get the zip unzipped. Pretty much. Uh, he's like, is are these newspapers on Napster? No. Not Napster. <laughs> uh, Will-, Will downloads BearShare onto the library computers and gets like 80 viruses. Bear share with Yorick. Oh my god. Will and Yorick are networking too. Literally. Uh, and then there's a slideshow. The last story in the slideshow is about an expedition that reached the North American Arctic Survey station at Noatok, Alaska. And then two months went and then they never heard from them again. They were missing. Well. Well, that's no good. <laughs> that's no good. That's, that's a, close a disappointment. Well, that's no good. Uh, a bunch of folks search for John Perry, but Will finds little of actual substance other than he was in the Royal Marines and became an explorer, which is all stuff we all knew already. Will tries to access the Institute of Archaeology next by lying about his field trip from St. Peter's, not in Oxford, but in Hampshire. And then we snap back over to Lyra. We're like, all right, what's she doing now? Yeah, she's just waltzing into academic buildings. She gets stopped by a porter and she's like, oh, this feels familiar. (laughs) Being told I can't do things in a university. (laughs) She lies and says, I'm looking for Dr. Lister. Name she just read off of a pigeonhole on the wall. She gets redirected and then talks her way into the building. Lyra is now convinced that she knows this world very well. I I really like that she's like back in business. She's like back in back. She's like rocking out. She's like I'm lying. I'm doing stuff. I'm doing it. She's a person she, again. Yeah, she's like I think I know this world better than Will even. And I'm like, oh my god, don't get cocky, kid. <laughs> she's gonna get hit by a bus <laughs> or worse, expelled. <laughs> expelled. And I do want to include Lyra's impressions of this university. <laughs> Speaking of the girl who has never washed her hair. These rooms, the walls of this corridor, were all flat and bare and plain in a way Lyra thought belonged to poverty, not to the scholarship and splendor of Oxford. And yet the brick walls were smoothly painted and the doors were of heavy wood and the banisters were of polished steel, so they were costly. It was just another way in which this world was strange. 
again, very much so futurist, right? Just very slick and uh, manufactured. Really interesting. They're not concerned with, like, the pop. They're like, we study things because she finds a room that says Dark Matter Research Unit. And funnily, there's an RIP and Director Lazarus. Huh. Director Lazarus. A woman invites her in, and on the back of the door is a Chinese poster, uh, or a poster with a Chinese design upon it. And Lyra is surprised because she's like, wow, women can be scholars here? And which, of course, it's like, Lyra, you've actually met a female scholar before, but well, I know that's in the first book, but okay, Lyra, they kind of like introduce her as that too, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, she runs a fucking school. Um, <laughs> uh, the woman She's is working on a computer, and Eliana, I can't do this. This is all you, baby cakes. You go. This is your girl. You just you get out there for this woman. You get. I'm just it. so excited. I I do really love. I do really love Doctor Mary Malone. She's yeah. pretty great. I love that image that Chloe posted, that you posted. I thought you would. I It was so great. A, first of all, I love that illustration style. She posted a picture that someone drew of Dr. Malone. It's so beautiful and great. Yeah. If you guys follow us on Twitter, go check it out. We retweeted it in the last like week, and it's just amazing. Yeah. Um. I don't know why you were asking me, like... Oh, you were asking who's going to read aloud the Mary Malone parts. Is it you? Are you Mary? Yes. That's what Chloe was saying to me. And and I agreed. I think I'm Dr. Mary Malone. I think that I am easily distracted in the middle of sentences and explanations. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm here mm-hmm. and what I'm doing. Big slut and a mentor figure. Yeah. All, all in one. I'm multifaceted. You know, that, that's definitely me. You know, Mary when Malone. people talk about you. Eliana, this is exactly what I tell them. You are a slutty doctor. She doesn't know why she's the here. World. Yeah. But you don't know what you're doing. She stops in the middle of sentences. She could just get it together. Uh, Lyra tries to ask about dust, but they don't call it that in this world, apparently. So she tries to describe it and how dust generally behaves. And she goes on one of her usual tangents and she like ends up asking a bajillion questions about the Bronze Age. Yeah, Dr. Malone explains, oh, the Bronze Age, that was 5,000 years ago. And Lyra's like, well, that's wrong, because the alethiometer told me that the skull's from 33,000 years ago. And Dr. Malone's like, hold up, where are you from? And Lyra's like, fuck, I gotta tell the truth. But she gets lost trying to explain it, and then Dr. Malone becomes distraught and says, like, uh, maybe this is the only place you can learn about your dust, but... Guess what? It's being shut down. Too bad. And then she gets lost in her explanation. I find that Dr. Malone and Lyra have very similar speaking styles in some ways. Hmm. It's actually a really cool conversation when you think about it. Yeah. It's really the first female interaction Lyra's had in this book. And mm-hmm. it's the coolest, most badass female she could have, right? I agree. I, well, Hannah Ralph is pretty cool. Yeah, that's true, too. But she's not prominent in this book. Let's be real. Let's be no, real. No, she's not. She's off being a, being a scholar in a different world. Well, she's doing a lot of important shit. That's for sure. So Lyra and Dr. Malone have coffee. And Dr. Malone tells Lyra a little bit about the Yijing. And Lyra's like, I don't know what this is, but maybe we have it in my world. I've just never heard of it. And Yijing is an ancient Chinese divination oracle. And it's one of the oldest Chinese classics, widely influenced by changes of Zhou, 
with more than two and a half millennia's worth of interpretations. It's a super influential text read throughout the world. Like it became part of the five classics in second century BC. It basically informed divination moving forward in the East and a lot of what Western culture perceives of it as well. A lot of people have adapted to using coins to decide the numbers that kind of allege the hexagram readings. And that started in the Zhou dynasty with more of a claromancy influence with yarrow sticks, which we actually see Mary use a little later on. Uh, a more ancient way of reading it that, by the way, there is no clear translation of how they do it to this day. Like, it's some ancient shit. They just know it. Whatever. I, I honestly, I watched like four videos about it and I... Really? Yeah, absolutely. I watched this one hour long Taoism video about it. It was nuts. <laughs> there are, I should watch that. You honestly should. It's really interesting. There are two main yeah. lines that get used that parallel each other in Yijing, which like represent the dark and light forces like yin and yang and balance. Hmm. I'd relate it probably more to like tarot or help dyads, but a lot of people feel it's really more explorative of the subconscious, hmm. uh, harnessing the capacity of the subconscious arbitration. You know, kind of like the alethiometer in a way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, something you said earlier reminded me of that, that it, it's like it's giving her advice and she's choosing to follow it. And sometimes it tells her things she didn't want to know or asked to know, uh, but it's doing it for a reason. So it's interesting that it brings up things that a lot of times she actually knows to be in her heart. She just hasn't really faced. And I mean, that's just growing up. Yeah, it's intuition like, and yada yada. Not even that. Sometimes you just gotta disobey things every now and then to find out, like, oh, I should have done that. Yeah, like, ow, just that hurt life. my hand when I put it on the stove. Yeah. It's real life. Yeah, the, the Yixing is very interesting, and yes, you're right, this will happen at some point, because we're bad at being spoiler-free in this first portion. <laughs> um, they talk about dark matter, and you know, originally here, I just put like all the things that Dr. Malone said because I was like, let's just let her explain all of it, and Chloe was like, what the fuck is this, Eliana? So, we're gonna summarize it now. Okay, I left a, I left a quote in. I got at least a couple. Fine, fine. Dark matter is what my research team is looking for. No one knows what it is. There's more stuff out there in the universe than we can see. That's the point. We can see the stars and the galaxies and the things that shine, but for it to all hang together and not fly apart, there needs to be a lot more of it to make gravity work, you see. But no one can detect it. So there are lots of different research projects trying to find out what it is, and this is one of them. Dr. Malone's like, it's probably an elementary particle. It's almost undetectable, undetectable, but I think we got it. We don't really know how this particle that we found fits in, but we we have this this particle, and we call it shadows, and they're particles of consciousness. And he's like, no wonder we can't get funded. But what she really means is that capitalism is destroying academic progress. Anyway. What? What does that mean? What does it mean? <laughs> capitalism would never do that to someone it would never <laughs> bust out those gold coins Lara contribute you can make a she can donate these gold coins and probably get a building named after her that's how like it works right actually not not untrue not untrue um, um, where did you leave off sorry I could read something for you if you need I don't know where you are oh no No, you're, you can pick up here with so Mary basically says, or Mary and Lyra discuss, and it turns out you have to be confident and relaxed at the same time, which is kind of like having two drinks. 
So Lyra, when she finally gets into that mode, that's why she's probably like, yes, this is so cool because she loves wine. But just kidding. Don't drink if you're a kid. It's not good. So it's not good. Then she describes a state of mind using a quote from a letter from Keats. Capable of being in uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. Yes. So as Dr. Malone said, this comes from a letter from the poet John Keats. And this quote is actually what Keats called, like a few words before this showed up, like negative capability. Uh, and it's described by literally, literally this quote. It was kind of like an artistic philosophy about being open and being open to ideas, especially. And like in the same letter, uh, he contrasts Shakespeare and the poet Samuel Coleridge. Keats felt that like Coleridge was really interested in like pursuing singular philosophical ideas and that his work would like argue towards that, whereas he felt that Shakespeare presented a lot of different kinds of like ideas and philosophies through different voices and wouldn't like really judge or weigh or tell people like this is the right one, this one isn't. And I think that's kind of like an it's kind of like the concept on exploration of ideas, right? Which I think is apt and interesting in an idea that, you know, is so driven by explorers and Lyra is so into explorers. And other later scholars have looked at this idea of negative capability as being about, like, breaking against the hierarchy. I don't know if that's what, like, Keats is actually saying or not. I think he was just like, this was like a private letter. Mm -hmm. that eventually came out but the idea of it breaking against hierarchy is interesting in the context of his dark materials because of things that come up in the discussion but um i don't know pullman pullman might be more interested in that yeah i think so and uh i'm very excited to hear what you have to say about that in the discussion actually but i don't have anything i'm just saying that this is this pertains to things later oh okay in this book series fine well then, Sorry. fine. Um, no, That's but it. it's an interesting comparison, right? When you look at the analog, but the fact that he would say, you know, like Shakespeare is more about this. And it, I think it really says a lot about fate, right? Like, mm. can you choose your own fate? Is it your destiny, etc.? Yeah. Free will, all that. Free will, free him. Free will. Oh. And then Mary Malone explains... You talk to shadows by going into the cave, which is what we call the room for my giant computer because this was written in the 90s. Her giant what? Computer. Oh. What did you think I said? Nothing. I just heard the first letter and you said giant, so I just thought you were talking about Mary Malone's giant. She she does have big dick energy. I was going to say, no, that is what I, I was going to say, cock. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what could I say I was going to say? Ah, <laughs> She's like, it's too late. She knows me. <laughs> she got my number. <sighs> Dr. Malone's like, yeah, we named it after Plato's allegory. And then you use it to talk to shadows. We get it, Pullman. You like ideas and philosophy. He's read a book or two. Maybe. <laughs> maybe written maybe written a book or two. Who knows? Um it is it is pretty straightforward, right? Like, yeah, we get it. It's a fun nod, especially when you think of I mean like like if you think about it, right? Like young readers are reading this and they're like being introduced to the ideas. That's cool. That's pretty rad. And like you said, we get it, Pullman. So we're not going to explain to you Plato's allegory of the cave. I will do you all the dignity and not do that. Today. Um 
I think we already did it, like, for one of these book series, and I think, like, that's it. You know, you got once. <laughs> if you want to go back, we have our catalog of courses. <laughs> you can go find it. It's maybe, like, a little ironic calling it the cave, because, I mean, like, I guess the shadows here, like, reveal the truth. Mm-hmm. And the way that Lyra does it, soon, like the symbols on the alethiometer, they're symbolic though, and the, it's like not the actual true representation and experience of the real. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there's something a little interesting about it in the context of the alethiometer because you like you go deeper in the levels, and it kind of makes you think like you're moving further and further away from like the first, maybe in purest form of the meaning in terms of mm-hmm. like the platonic forms i don't know we'll, well come just, back to it yeah. in the other discussion like lyra says discussion. you know she's like it's like she has to dig deeper a level yeah um she can get a concept at the surface and then she in her brain she has to go three slots down to get further in which is really interesting in comparison to some other stuff in that we could talk about in like five chapters or in the discussion so before that <laughs> let's talk about the skulls a little bit we're gonna come back to this in the discussion too I was coming to that. Oliver Payne, him, my colleague, was fooling about one day testing things with the cave, and it was so odd. It didn't make any sense in the way a physicist would expect. He got a piece of ivory, just a lump, and there was no shadows with that. It didn't react. But a carved ivory chess piece did. A big splinter of wood off a plank didn't, but a wooden ruler did. And a carved wooden statuette had more. I'm talking about elementary particles here, for goodness sake. Little minute lumps of scarcely anything. They knew what these objects were. Anything that was associated with human workmanship and human thought was surrounded by shadows. And then Oliver, Dr. Payne, got some fossil skulls from a friend at the museum and tested them to see how far back in time the effect went. There was a cutoff point after... 30, 40,000 years ago. Before that, no shadows. After that, plenty. And that's about the time, apparently, that modern human beings first appeared. I mean, you know, our, our remote ancestors, but people no different from us, really. It's dust, said Lyra authoritatively. That's what it is. But you see, you can't say that sort of thing in a funding application if you want to be taken seriously. It does not make sense. It cannot exist. It's impossible. And if it isn't impossible, it's irrelevant. And if it isn't either of those things, it's embarrassing. I just included that last part because I thought it was funny. It's very science. <laughs> it's just so Dr. Malone. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll come back to this, but real talk. It's this name Dr. Payne, and I guess this is also jumping ahead. Whatever. Because he's a big pain. He is a pain in my ass, a pain in your ass, and especially a pain in Mary Malone's ass. Yes. Anyway. Okay, sure. After Lyra audits this one single course from Dr. Malone, she has to see the cave, and Dr. Malone is, you know what, sure, why not? We might not even have a cave tomorrow. So she brings Lyra to a room full of electrical equipment and an empty screen that needs to be linked up to. I really want to know what this is going to be like in the show i love that like mary malone also goes from zero to hundred like she goes from like i shouldn't let you into my office to like now she's like fuck it fuck it let's just do it let's just fucking do it all lyra dude that's me (laughs) zero to hundred she brings lyra into that room lyra convinces mary to let her have a go at it by showing her the alethiometer and demonstrating how that works Through this, we get Mary Malone's backstory. She used to be a nun, then she became an atheist instead. Lyra's like, I don't think they just let you leave in my world like that. 
Lyra says she learned that from the alethiometer, by the way, the backstory, which works by dust, which she thinks is like Mary's dark matter. The sound in the room as the machine starts up is similar to the sound in the separation chamber at Bulvangar. Ew. Don't like that. Yeah. that's. I, th- I thought that was interesting. Powered by dust. Mm. The screen turns on. Color. Brightens up. Some small letters. Some figures. Mary Malone slathers gel on Lyra's head and then hooks her up with some nodes. And I'm like, ah, an ultrasound <laughs> for Lyra's head to figure out what's <laughs> happening in there. What is in there? What is in there? Oh my god. Witch oil. I gotta know. Uh, it's, it's great. She's so funny. She's so she's so weird. Here's my gold coins. Oh my God. Dr. Malone explains, well, this is all full of the shadows. And Lyra pretends then that the screen is an alethiometer. It flickers and then she tries again. And she gets a response like the aurora on the screen. I'm sorry, the aurora. Thank you. Thank you for respecting it, first off. Second off, whoa, so she, like, pretends it's the alethiometer and immediately gets an aurora, gets the northern lights. That's awesome. It's, like, such a good part every time I read it. I'm like, Pullman, good job. Yeah, and that's why we pulled out this quote, too. A stream of dancing lights for all the world, like the shimmering curtains of the aurora, blazed across the screen. They took up patterns that were held for a moment only to break apart and form again in different shapes or different colors. They looped and swayed, they sprayed apart, they burst into showers of radiance that suddenly swerved this way or that like a flock of birds changing direction in the sky. And as Lyra watched, she felt the same sense as of trembling on the brink of understanding that she remembered from the time when she was beginning to read the alethiometer. Lyra asks if this is dust and the the light swirls, which probably means yes, it's supposed to be a sign, I guess so. Dr. Malone is, like, sitting there with her eyes wide, just surprised, as this is the clearest it's been. And Lyra's like, well, this machine you have here is a fucking bucket of bolts. It's useless. It's a fucking rust bucket. And then she tries again. She really pretends it's the alethiometer this time. And it appears on the screen. She explains it answers in her language, the language of pictures. I love, by the way, that this is literally all of Lyra's knowledge of computers happening here. Oh my god. Let that sink in. Like, it was like teaching a grandma about, like, Wi-Fi, right? But now all of a sudden, she's like, no, you're using it wrong, Mary. Fucking Gen Zs. (laughs) Is that what they're called? Yeah. Okay. Zoomers. Is she a Zoomer? She is kind of a Zoomer. She zooms the fuck around the plot, so... And and the entire, like, all the world. So actually, though... Yeah. um, Lyra, a Zoomer. (laughs) <laughs> we love her the the scene with the aurora responding i thought of xenon girl of the 21st century <laughs> do you remember yeah i just watched animals? it like three months ago when disney plus came oh, out i haven't rewatched it yet i'm missing out it's worth it. it it was worth that that and uh smart house were my first watches oh my god i was just talking about smart house smart house is my people. favorite movie of all the Disney Channel movies, at least really? I, will, I will always. That's my favorite Disney Channel movie, Smart House. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I was rewatching Johnny Tsunami. Oh, another good one, a classic. Classic. Look at the Truly. Irish classic, but garbage. Also, yeah, yeah, I agreed. Lyra then uses the cave, like in the lithiometer, and she asks, it, "Okay, how can the people of this world understand the shadows?" And it responds with, you can program it to respond in words. Wow, it's so easy. I wish there was an instruction manual. I know, right? She's just like, 
Mary, you know, she should just, just make it use words. How hard can it be? <laughs> we get this little passage from Lyra where she talks about the alethiometer and the symbols she's getting. And Mary's like, how are you doing this? And Lyra's like, well, the lightning meant ambaric. I mean, electric power, more of that. And the angel, that's about messages. There's things it wants to say, but what it went on to that second bit, it meant Asia, almost the farthest east, but not quite. I don't know what country that would be. China, maybe. And there's a way they have in that country of talking to dust. I mean, shadows. Same as you got here and I got I got with pictures, only their way uses sticks. I think it meant that picture on the door, but I didn't understand it, really. I thought when I first saw it there, it was something important about it, only I didn't know what. So there must be lots of ways of talking to shadows. I love that passage. I like that it, it expands what everything could be. Mm-hmm. Dr. Malone says that it's the Yi Xing, a Chinese form of divination. Lyra is surprised to realize there are many ways to speak with dust, and the alethiometer also tells her Mary's important, but she doesn't really know how or why. She's like, ugh, probably has to program all the words in, that's why. It's the only important thing about this woman. I love that Lyra just like, is like, I don't understand why these other people are important. Right, she's like, I don't want to deal with these people, why should I? I mean, also a mood. I mean, betrayal. I get it. Betrayal. You guys, uh, there's like, I don't know what the list is, and I don't know how SEO, etc. works for this, <laughs> but we're, we're one of the best betrayal podcasts. I agree. Did you know that? I really do agree. Uh, if you Google Google's Gone Canon, Lyra finally gives a better understanding of where she is from to Dr. Malone. We're not going to explain it. Y'all came on this journey with us. She explains her ability to clear her mind, to understand the lithiometer. Clearly, she doesn't know how to clean her mind. Then Lyra wonders why people in her world hate dust, slash shadows, slash dark matter, and think it's evil. But what they do is evil. And Dr. Mullen is like, I don't know, it's kind of weird to talk about good and evil in a scientific library. And I actually kind of disagree, because I think that scientists should talk about morality and ethics, and it should be a part of the study. Like, that in and of itself is... I think maybe part of science a little. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Malone says she became a scientist so she wouldn't have to think about those things. <laughs> and I think Pullman agrees with me to an extent because the story seems to be making the case for otherwise based on like the kind of science that was pursued by Mrs. Coulter and Lord Asriel because Lyra then points out, but you gotta think about it, said Lyra severely. You can't investigate shadows, dust, whatever it is without thinking about that kind of thing, good and evil and such. And instead, you got to remember, you can't refuse. It's the law. <laughs> yeah, Pullman's definitely making some commentary here. And what Lyra says here gets into Mary's head. It's going to come back in a chapter or two in a much harder way. Lyra may feel lost, but she's been really found now that she remembers her journey, right? Reigniting that determination to understand shadows and dust. And this is kind of a strong recurring theme, what we're seeing here with the idea of science and versus progress, right? Like, what's more important, progress or ethics when it comes to science? In Northern Lights, you see it with the Bulvanger nurses who are doing things in exploration for science, but for the wrong team, for Coulter and Asriel. If shadow and dust research would get in the wrong hands, like the magisterium, and the oppression that could come from that, as we've talked about in our Northern Lights episodes, as our friend Lowe has told us a lot about some of the past of the European regions, um, it, it's a very big quandary. You could be the motherfucker that looses something that destroys half of civilization, you know? 
Just why? Because they're different color or shape or size? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's definitely something, as you said, with the Bolvanger nurses working for the wrong people. It's something that's raised, of course, with Roger and Lord Asriel and what happens. Mm-hmm. And like... When the High Lords play their Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, and I think bringing in the nurses is very interesting because, right, they, they have their demons severed and that means that they're not in some ways, right, it's almost like it's removing their capability to think of good and mm-hmm. evil, and because of that, therefore, do more evil. And it's almost like a question of, is it progress? Is it progress, right, if evil is the cost of it? And I think it's a question that's being posed. This is that ne- negative capability. Yeah. Like, you know? why do we do good or do evil, and what kind of connotation does it have when you're looking to make progress and evolve as a race the human race yep yeah yeah but for now funding is gonna run out at the end of the week so lara's like okay well you can just program it all tonight drink a monster drink some for loco <laughs> get some espresso mary mary program it tonight and then you can show them. You're going to go get your funding. Uh, and then you can also help me. Because I need help figuring things out. That, a, a truer statement, has never been made, Lyra. <laughs> oh, Lyra. Uh, she's just, it's fine. You can do it, right? And uh, Mary, I mean, less is kind of like, yeah. And I, I'm going to reiterate one of my favorite tweets from when the His Dark Materials show came out, especially the first episode, was like, Someone saying that they knew that the show is fantasy by how quickly and easily Lord Asriel got funding from like the college. Oh yeah, absolutely. Funding, they're like that's made up. Absolutely made up. No way. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Malone does call that out. Someone here, she's like, I guess you know, it's it's the same amount of effort as it would take me to do a funding application. Why not stay up all night? Anyway. Lyra says that she guesses she could use the Yijing, but nah. Dr. Malone asks Lyra to return tomorrow when she leaves, and Lyra has a brand new mom. I love this mom. Me too. Me too. Way better than the other literal real mom. <laughs> the real mom, yeah. But good call. Good call. <laughs> not, sorry, not real. Sorry. Better than the other biological mom. There you go. Then we cut to Will, who is the second person now in a month. Other than a journalist, question mark, to ask about the Ninia talk dig. The other person who had asked about it wanted to know uh, was in connection with one of the men who disappeared during the Cold War, apparently, or this world's Cold War. Will lies about why he needs the information, and he gets this huge info dump. It was basically a survey to see if it was worth the investment. A bunch of scientists came together who split the cost in their journey. Geologists, physicists, and an an ex-marine who was an explorer. Polar bears also had a shout-out in this info dump. And then they all vanished. Radio signals stopped after a blizzard. Bears ate their stores. Typical bears. (laughs) The journalist is most interested in the man named Perry, The journalist that stopped by was big and blonde with pale hair, Will learns when he asks. And it turns out Will's like, that's not a journalist. That's one of the guys who came to my house. 
who seemed like he had no eyebrows or eyelashes. So Will ducks into a library. He goes and has a mini panic attack because he's like, I fucking killed someone. I fucking killed someone. And like a half hour later, he calms his ass down. This is like the saddest thing. Like, have any of you had a panic attack like in public? It's awful. It's terrible. And like all these people are just there walking by. And he's just here freaking out because he's like killed someone. And then it's like the worst is if you're in public and you have one and like other people see you having one. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, please just do not look at me. Like, I wish you would just never look at me. That's all I care about. And that is how Will feels. And he just stands, sits so still that I guess it kind of works out. Like, no, people don't notice him. <sighs> we We get this quote of what's going through his head during part of it, like, and how he calms himself down justifies it all to himself he'd been defending his mother they were frightening her given the state she was in they were persecuting her he had a right to defend his home his father would have wanted him to do that he did it because it was the good thing to do he did it to stop them from stealing the green leather case he did it so he could find his father and didn't he have a right to do that All his childish games came back to him with himself and his father rescuing each other from avalanches or fighting pirates. Well, now it was real. I'll find you, he said in his mind. Just help me and I'll find you and we'll look after mom and everything will be all right. (sighs) Oh, sweetie. I do like the line in there. And didn't he have a right to do that? That was a very Mm -hmm. Lyra-esque line. I thought the same thing. Yeah, you can really see where their parallels and where, as characters, they like will find refuge in each other here. Yeah, they 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 have similar ways of thinking, um, even though obviously they're different. They seem very different at first. That's for sure. <laughs> can't use coins. One can cook omelets. One can't do anything at all. Uh, will feel safer having somewhere to hide, where he's also hiding his papers. Uh, He finally realizes the museum's closing, so as he exits, the man with the pale eyebrows is getting out of a car, and he immediately is, like, freaking out, have to go invisible to wait for Lyra, and just, like, (sighs) breathes and finds a place to go, and I love that this is basically the answer to the question of Will as a murderer here. Like, if you weren't already convinced of his role in this story, Will is afraid because he killed this guy. He's afraid of him. Uh, He's afraid for him. He's afraid for his mother. He's afraid for everyone involved here of this guy. Uh, A murderer that did it in cold blood would probably not feel that fear. Yeah, I mean, like, already there's just so much riding on his shoulders. And you know what? There's just going to be more. It's fine. Fuck it. (laughs) It's fine. Doing it live. Doing it live. (laughs) So now we roll into our discussion. Yes, so any of you who have not completed all three of the main trilogy, please sign out for now. We don't want to spoil you, but feel free to stay if you are ready for the spoilers. Uh, We will be covering, like I said, all of the Subtle Knife, the Amber Spyglass in the discussion, and after that we will start working on the outer books. So to start off, let's revisit this quote. He wasn't prepared for Lyra's wide-eyed helplessness. He couldn't know how much of her childhood had been spent running about streets almost identical with these and how proud she'd been of belonging to Jordan College, whose scholars were the cleverest, whose coffers the richest, whose beauty the most splendid of all. Now it simply wasn't there, and she wasn't Lyra of Jordan anymore. She was a lost little girl in a strange world belonging nowhere. 
Well, she said shakily, if it ain't here, it was going to take longer than she thought. That was all. So this was immediately, like, when I read this, all I thought about was Lyra reading the alethiometer and losing the ability to read it easily. Oh my god! That's what it reminded me of. Uh, It was going to take longer than she thought. That was all. I like the hopefulness that she had there. And again, it reminds me of that as well. That, you know, she's like, I can relearn it. We'll, We'll figure it out in the end. At first she's upset and then she's like, okay. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Um, and for this, you know, it's she's lost a home. She'll figure it out, which yeah. she does eventually end up toward there. But uh, I think she's looking for more than that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about it like that. And you're right. Like, it, it definitely has those same vibes, but it does goes to show how she is very tenacious. You know, she's just like, all right, that was a setback. And she, yeah, I mean, earlier you were. We're joking. You said, we'll do it live, but that's absolutely Lyra. You know, she's like, we'll do it live. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. And the first chapter of this, you know, she's very hopeless and kind of bummed. And the second chapter, especially when she meets Mary, very hopeful. You know, I mean, that was opening up a whole new world to her that she worked with a female scholar who understands dust-ish. Understands as much as she can. She, yeah, she, she's open to learning and trying things like making omelets. I mean, I, she doesn't do great, but she tries to do it. You know, she's trying to be self-sufficient. You got to respect that. Absolutely. It's a small thing uh, coming back again to the computer room as the cave and Play-Doh. <sighs> Speaking of sad things, you know, it reminded me of the underworld, right? Where Lyra and Will explore it and that's where the dead reside. And then their own journey leading the dead out of the world of the cave and then into that world of sensation. It's like a literal manifestation of Plato's allegory and people exiting the cave. Cool scene. The real world. (laughs) It is, but now I'm really sad. It's just such a beautiful moving scene. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks. Something I noticed during this episode particularly that I just like, I don't know how i missed this maybe i just bloop bloop over my head but you know how charles makes like a weird tongue thing in this chapter and yeah, then it recurs i'm not into it i'm not into, not it. into it it's very gross but it's so it's very much like his demon right a snake it is um, it's so interesting and what's crazier is you know snakes when they do that it's not because they're gonna eat you it's because they're smelling you but in this he's smelling her Oh, you're right. He's smelling her, He's getting like her his scent. weird flower thing. Yeah. Uh, Ew, you're right. He is also getting her scent. That's so gross. Yeah, I hate him. But also, like, I didn't notice that. I wonder, you know, such a good giveaway that maybe you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really creepy look. And I, I mean, I didn't even think about it in relation to the fact that he has a snake demon either. I just oh. really didn't even think about that. And... It's really off-putting. They he writes him so off-putting because like we got him a little bit right, and he was incredibly off-putting. Remember mm-hmm. in the dinner party? Yeah, that's very true. He was, and not even just that, but as you get through other books, I mean, there are other villains that Pullman has written in this series, in this outer series especially. That uh, he's just very good at making off-putting, like incredibly yeah. good at just really freaking you out. I'll quickly react to that, I guess, in the dustier discussion. Oh my god. Because I've been, like, hollering about it to Chloe all week. (sighs) (laughs) Very off-putting. But you're right. I mean, it it goes to show, to an extent, like, you gotta trust your instincts sometimes. 
Amen, sister. So I want to talk about the holes in the skulls that are allegedly dated at 33,254 years ago. 1,600 minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that not what we were doing? It's okay. No, but we can't. I actually have never seen Rent. I've seen it twice. Can't tell you shit about it. I just like used to paint the theater sets in school and therefore have heard that song a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard it many times. You know times. what I mean? I mean, it's yeah. a good song. It's whatever. Um, but yeah, so they're they're dated at that thirty three thousand whatever years, according to the lithiometer. And Mary also says that thing about regarding the measuring of the dust on the skulls of like Doctor Payne finding out that skulls older than that time like didn't really have any dust on them like about 30 to 40,000 years ago and about it being like when the mo first modern humans appeared um, and, and I do think that that time period is significant right because like we, we hear about its significance. Grumman was studying societies that were or civilizations that were 30,000 years old and some of the researchers that Scoresby speaks to are like that's bullshit and then Grumman's like no it's not Azrael's done the greatest thing since sliced bread was invented 35,000 years ago. And by that, I mean not bread. He's just like, he's done the greatest thing ever since then. Of course, like, he I don't fucking know. likes Azrael. I'm sorry, but if you really think that John did no wrong, Perry got attacked and murdered by a witch for no reason, you're wrong. <sighs> uh, yeah. I mean, they were definitely like friends to some of some sort, which is interesting because I think Will and Lyra will never discuss that not know that their dads were friends yeah they were definitely bros but coming back to this time period there's this quote from with mary with the malefa and it's like and it was connected to what the shadows had said to her on the computer screen just before she left her own world whatever it was this question it had to do with the great change in human history symbolized in the story of adam and eve with the temptation the fall original sin and his investigations among fossil skulls blah blah oliver Payne. And then Mary thinks something had happened then, some development in evolution, to make the human brain an ideal channel for amplifying their effects. She said to Atal, how long have there been Malefa? And Atal said, 33,000 years. Hmm, it's almost like life has been around for much longer. <laughs> it's been around actually for much, much, much longer. <laughs> but um, later on... Mary's like, what happened to give you this trough? And they were like, we discovered how to use the wheels. One day a creature with no name discovered a seed pod and began to play. And as she, and then Mary asks, like, she? And they're like, she. Yes. Her? Her? <laughs> God, classic. I got you. Thank you. She had no name. Before then, she saw a snake coiling itself through the hole in a seed pod. And the snake said, Mary's like, the snake spoke to her? They're like, no, no, it is a bake like God, don't you have any fucking imagination, Mary? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what they're thinking internally. Um, the story tells that the snake said, What do you know? What do you remember? What do you see ahead? And she said, Nothing, nothing, nothing. So the snake said, Put your foot through the hole in the seed pot where I was playing, and you will become wise. So she put a foot in where the snake had been and the oil entered her blood and helped her see more clearly than before and the first thing she saw was the shroff it was so strange and pleasant that she wanted to share it at once with her kindred so she and her mate took the seed pods and they discovered that they knew who they were they knew they were malefa and not grazers they gave each other names they named themselves malefa they named the seed tree and all the creatures and plants 
I really wish you would just read The Secret Commonwealth. I'm sorry. No, you're not. I will. I will. It's just will. you're pulling all these things that I'm like, oh, they're going to be so good for her to talk about. Someday she's going to be mind blown. And uh, I didn't even think about like it's you're pulling stuff that I haven't thought about that. Like all of a sudden I'm relating it to it and going, oh, shit. Did I even read these books? Who read these books? Did I read them? You read them, and you actually read more more of the books because you're clearly <laughs> thinking of things that I've never thought about because I haven't read. My the mind books. is worrying, uh, and I mean, you know, this whole showing this whole analog of the Mulefa, it, it, it's showing a whole entire new civilization and their yeah. own little humanity. They're not humans; they're Mulefa. They are considered humans, you know. Like they they say in the books that like, oh, they're just a different kind of human. They look. Hmm. Well, sometimes I look like a Mulefa when I wake up, so... Well, that's adorable. Mm-hmm. They sound so adorable. I'm like, is it adorable that I look like a Mulefa? I don't know. They sound so cute. They do. I love them. Yeah, and like, there's an expansive idea of what humanity is, right? And that's what Lyra comes to see in the underworld. And I, I assume they all have a story like this because you got those similarities similarities between like this Malefa who puts her her like foot through the seed pod mm-hmm. and then the story of Adam and Eve, uh, the the biting into the apple from the tree of knowledge, and it coinciding with like demons settling in this story for Lyra's world. I think that they gave a time period for that. I don't remember. And then from the lantern slides, right, you have that like in Lyra's world, demons in the world of the Malefa, the oil bearing wheels. Both ways of making the workings of dust apparent in our world what? And like the the story explicitly tells us that dust is human consciousness. But the concept that Pullman is talking about here, I think, and uh Mary Malone does say that this is when modern humans appeared. Now, Homo sapiens had been around already for a while. Like I think so Homo sapiens sapiens, which is what we here are, you and I, Chloe, and you and I, dear listener, um, has existed so, so Homo sapiens sapiens is like maybe estimated to be like around, depending on like which which line of thought you subscribe to, maybe five hundred thousand years old, maybe like three hundred to two hundred thousand years old. That's actually a huge ass range. People make your fucking minds up. Um, it's crazy to think how much like we don't know because history's been going on for so long that it all blurs together. And they're like fucking fight. Well, I'm sure people are fighting over those yeah. thousands, hundreds of thousands. I mean, it's a big, it's a big difference. Literally hundreds of thousands of years. But the the, the concept that he's describing here, I think he's talking about what's called behavioral mo- modernity, which describes when he, modern humans, right, not just Homo sapiens sapiens, but the idea of the modern human developing the capacity for language, symbolic thinking, culture art, things like that, and and some people describe it as, like, also the ability of transferring important information from, like, the one generation to, like, the next generations. Mm. That's a big part of modern humanity as well. And a big way that archaeologists sort of uh, determine what constitutes all that was, like, one of them was through seeing evidence of tools. And again, like, so it's interesting that Pullman... Because this is a story, right, and it's a, a fantasy story, has decided to pick out like a singular moment as this is when behavioral modernity started. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like it was evolving to a point, it was a process on and off over like hundred, like, I don't know, 
50,000 years. They're like, oh, we're doing it. Oh, we're not doing it. We're doing it. We're not. We forgot. But he stays faithful to the depiction of behavioral modernity through using tools as a way to depict it, like with the trepanning, like, and, and the boring of the holes, which Homo sapiens, like, were doing in order to make beads. That was a thing people were into. You see it bone in beads. those heads. Yeah, bone beads, shells, mm-hmm. shell beads, things Puka like that. shells made out of your bones. <laughs> My fucking god. Uh, yeah, the, the Abercrombie model. <laughs> Behavioral modernity. Before civilization. Oh, and then the usage of tools with the malefa, right? Like, that's why it's so... It, it, it ties in with that wheel. It's evolution. It's, yeah, it, it's it's like that that switch, that evolution, like, of... In, in the mind of human consciousness. And again, the timing is a little different by about, I don't know, 70,000 to 20,000 years. Again, a huge range. Um, and it it, it it was a process, but there's a connection between that and why dust settles on those carved objects mm-hmm. and some, and dust more on some of like the more intricate ones. Yes. Oh wow, Chloe just has a note here that says I can't talk about what I want to here. Yep, can't say shit. Book. Can't say anything. The, uh, everything you said has to deal with the Secret Commonwealth for me, so I can't say anything about it. It's okay. But that's fine. Just read the book when you can someday, you know. I'd be happy. No pressure. I think I can soon. But, you know, what's really cool soon. is that we get to do a dustier discussion that you're invited to. We literally made this just for me. Hey, we actually did this. <laughs> A while back, we brought the dustier in. Now, the fun part about that is Eliana's allowed into it now. Yeah, but it's dustier, not the dustiest. Yeah, but we did a dustier discussion at one point. Yeah, I forgot what we it was. the oh, dustier oh, discussion's a placeholder. Then. Yeah, I think that was when you finished Subtle Knife, right? Yep, it was Maybe. only up to oh, Subtle well. Knife. Got it. Got it. You're right. Yep. Yeah. So first, I want to talk about. You know, the villains, as you were saying, I just, I, I can't, I can't unthink it. I can't, I cannot unsee in my mind's eye the hyena licking the pug <sighs> and the pug being super jazzed about it. It's awful. It, it's so, like... It's so jarring. And in general, Bonneville is jarring. Like, I, yeah. when I, once you get into part two, when they're actually, like, on the water, and you think about how voice travels on the water, I mean, God, the garden? Yeah. Fuck, Eliana, I've been waiting for so long to even talk about any of this. Um, it, Almost it, like the fucking Terminator. It, it was nuts, right? And and he just would appear and you'd just hear his voice carry over the water going, ha, 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 ha. Like the fucking Titus laugh from Final Fantasy X. Here we go, Final Fantasy X again. Like it's the <laughs> Titus laugh on loop, <laughs> oh but God, deeper. Right. It's awful. Like that haunted me. I, I got, got into part two of that book and I couldn't put the book down, A, B, like, I I was, like, tapping my foot with anxiety every time he appeared. I mean, he's very scary. And I'm just like, well, how are you still going, sir? Yeah. What is happening? I know. There were some times I was like, he should be dead. I mean, I guess that's why he's scary, right? He's, again, Terminator. And... Okay, so so things that are not about hyenas licking pugs. Going to talk about the allegory of the cave again. Uh, I loved, I as you can tell, I loved Doctor Hannah Ralph. Not yet a dame. So now I'm curious how she becomes a dame. I want to know <laughs> how does she get knighted, but for women. Um. Hmm. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. 
Chloe seems to know the answer. Anyway, they have that discussion about symbols around the alethiometer, um, that chicken and egg sort of discussion regarding uh, symbols and concepts. They go through a couple of different examples, such as like whether or not the Pythagorean theorem would hold true in a world with no Pythagoras or someone like him, or in a world with no bees. Bees? In a world with no bees. <laughs> no bees. No bees. I'm going to cut that into a spot or like as the preview for this episode. <laughs> but yeah, there's like a world with no bees, but maybe there's like still people and they could taste things. Like how would, could they symbolize sweetness without the hive? Right. And like. Then Malcolm has this passage. Well, the connection would be here in our minds, but not there. If we can think about that other world, we could see a connection, even if there was no one there to see it. That's good. Now, we still can't say whether that language you spoke about, the language of symbols, was definitely invented or definitely discovered. But it looks more as if- As if it was discovered, said Malcolm. But it's still not like Pythagoras's theorem. You can't prove it. It depends on- on- Yes. It depends on people being there to see it. The theorem doesn't. That's right. But it's a bit invented as well. Without people to see it, it would just be, it might as well not be there at all. Hold up, hold up, Pullman. It's all okay if it's there. Anyways, um, so we'll probably dig into this more when we do finally, I don't know, are we going to do like a LaBelle Sauvage discussion or maybe I think we're going to have to read through or something. I mean, I think we're going to have to read LaBelle Sauvage in general for the cast. Yeah, like, but do we do it after the Amber Spyglass? Are we going to be able to last that long between the seasons? I don't know. We'll think about it. Let's see how fast we finish the subtle knife. You never know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, we'll dig into this more eventually. Um, But you know, this passage brings in like ideas of subjective idealism, the relationship between perception, reality, existence, whatever. But for now, we're just going to focus this conversation around the lithiometer and shadow slash dust, whatever why it's interesting in this context because it seems like this argument is playing into the idea that yes yes there is a platonic form or platonic ideal of like this concept of things like sweetness right like that there is a pre-existing pure form of that idea of sweetness or something which is what a lot of this discussion hinges on um out there which is why through their discussion they talk about how like the symbols seem to be discovered they're not created it's not something that someone like thought oh yeah we'll do that like it it has that connotation of pre-existing and a few episodes ago within northern light slash golden compass we talked about the lithiometer and its symbols and linguistics right and here lyra calls the lithiometer as speaking like in quote unquote her language that language of pictures I mean, like, I, I, I have conflicting thoughts here. Like, it almost feels as though it's arguing, like, that there's something intrinsic to the meaning that goes with the symbols. And I know that, like, pictorial semiotics is its own thing that's a little different, like, in the depiction. But it's like the story is laying out an argument that, like, this language of pictures is closer, maybe, to the forms or the ideal. Or Lyra can get there with that state of mind. I don't know. I... I'll do more thinking around a deeper dive at some point, but it's something, it's an interesting thought. 
agree on that. Absolutely. And I think it's really funny that you took a lot more of the symbol side of it because I started thinking about what conceptually, especially with subjective idealism and the Mm -hmm. idea of like perceiving like, well, if I know it's real, but no one else is there to see it, is it real? Uh, Is it a real experience if no one else saw it happen to me? That kind of, you know, if a tree falls, that's kind of more what I started thinking about. But I would love to tell you more, but I can't tell you more about it, dear Eliana, because I'm about to go into my dusty discussion. I know you have something you want to start the dusty discussion with before you leave, but the dusty discussion is going to be covering the secret commonwealth and anything to do with it. Yeah, this isn't really technically the dusty discussion, you guys. This is just an offshoot of the dusty discussion, but I just wanted to throw Chloe off if I type under that header, see what happens. <laughs> like the troll that I am. <laughs> And I, and I preface, I'm not looking down. I just wanted to say like that my understanding, I think, is that Lyra is pursuing education right now. Maybe she's trying to become a scholar. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. The lantern slides seem to indicate that. Um, and I think it, you know, it was important for her to meet Mrs. Coulter. And obviously, like, studying with Dr. Sorry, Dame Hannah. <laughs> It's an important title. She worked hard for that oh, title, yeah. however the fuck she did it. If Charles Latrum gets to just be a knight, yeah, she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. And, like, especially, like, also meeting Dr. Malone, like, I don't know, it makes me think of how we always discuss the need for children to see themselves represented in stories, for them to see heroes that, like, look like them, so that they know that there are possibilities for themselves. And, like, for me, I'm like, yeah, that's Lyra. She never thought about, like female scholars being a thing until now and now she's like wow yeah i can totally be one and like save the fucking universe yeah i mean she already did it once without like any sort of any sort of uh uh, qualifications other than you know destiny but whatever it feels very unfair in book one that mrs coulter is like the fake shiny scholar you know that she's not really a scholar uh she's just tinsel on the outside and lyra's life is so charming and amazing for like two days and then she's yeah. like oh this bitch crazy and it's great that dr malone comes along in this book it's like well deserved yeah. right like she is the female role model lyra deserves and we get that especially you know later on when she tells her like yeah you guys should fucking make out you know like, yeah she's like kiss boys lyra kiss, kiss everyone yeah. yeah like love love is why i quit being a nun because it stifled love uh, I was sick of the she's rules. Like, I wanted to have sex, and I mean that's basically what she said. Yeah, I mean I get you, Mary. It's like honestly, at it. this point, I think Jesus is worried about like all the serial killers and rapists. You know, like maybe that's me. I don't know. For sure, whatever. Uh, and I sure don't think that Jesus really, really, actually would care whether or not you had a piece of paper that you paid the government for to get married with. I'm just putting that out there. I too do not think that he would i don't think that he made sure to go to the office and get the papers drafted and printed out <laughs> chloe and i now air our grievances <laughs> about but jesus I mean, <laughs> but i i, I do uh, you know coming back yes dr malone is like i mean she's she's the good role model for lyra to be like wow so i could be smart and have possibilities and a job because mrs coulter felt like she couldn't get that right she couldn't have everything she wanted without sacrificing but she also was smart she could have been a scholar in a way because remember she's the one who made and it's considered a groundbreaking scientific discovery that she discovered okay the moment that demons settle is the moment that dust starts settling on people she was the one who somehow fucking connected that 
So yeah, uh, and it's like it's that same idea that we get with our Song of Ice and Fire analysis of like Sansa versus Cersei, right? Uh, yeah, uh, ruling through fear and love. You know the differences between the two, and Coulter felt she could not get anywhere without sacrificing her quality of work. Yeah, and soul. Yeah, basically. Yep, literally. I mean, from no, you're right. Literally, she does too. Yeah. Well, that is true. Eliana, take a breather. Do do a couple All laps. Right. You know, this was big for you. Dusty discussion. Uh, <laughs> join us in just a second, Eliana. I'll make this one okay. brief. Don't worry. Um, Goodbye. Bye. So you guys, I'm not going to go into too much this week with the Dusty discussion, if not only because I want to save some of the really juicy stuff for our guests when we record with them this week with Her Dark Materials, Faye and Ian and Amy. We are so excited to record with them. Eliana's really bummed out that she can't be there, but she probably should have read the book. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> uh, she's on to me, you guys. She said so much good stuff this episode. I sat here with my mind blown during her dustiest, or sorry, dustier discussion, and she has no clue. No clue. But someday she'll have a clue. First, I want to talk about kind of that feeling of loneliness and sadness in this episode that we had from Lyra and how it really reminds me of Lyra right now in the Secret Commonwealth, age 2021. Uh, adulthood, specters, that horrible, bland feeling of hopelessness totally shows itself in Lyra uh, when she's just lost the flavor of life as she's grown older. I had to bring that up today. I thought that was a good one. Lyra losing her way in totality just really rang true, even in that passage where she says, if it ain't here, it was going to take longer than she thought. That was all. Some other things in this chapter that really, really, really screamed the secret commonwealth to me, especially after our Lantern Slides episode. If you haven't checked it out on Patreon, I really recommend it. We got pretty deep and pretty dusty in those. But when Lyra is telling Mary about her language, in comparison to the cave's languages and the languages of pictures in the alethiometer, she talks about what she actually sees on the alethiometer and how she reads it. And she sees an angel, she sees something that means Asia, and she sees, of course, uh, dust. So when she's reading these, she thinks about China specifically. And in the lantern slides, Pullman actually had written stuff about the flower oil that Charles Latram is wearing, and some more stuff about Asia. And lo and behold, here we are with Lyra heading towards Central Asia. So speaking of all this Central Asia, and Lyra someday getting there maybe in the next Book of Dust, I kind of thought about a couple other things that I want you guys to chew on until our episode comes out with Her Dark Materials and the Dark Materials podcast, which is Central Asia. Isn't that where the pants you're born headed off to? Hmm. Hmm. And didn't Yorick talk to Will about what he'd do if they found a new enemy? I'm wondering if the pants you're born are going to come to Lyra's aid once more in that last book. I guess we'll find out on that one for sure. But another person that I'm starting to feel like we're definitely going to see, not just because of the joking uh, tweet we read from Philip Pullman earlier on in the episode, but... Also because of the quote from La Belle Sauvage that uh, Eliana brought up tonight. Again, brilliant stuff from her today. From Malcolm. Well, the connection would be here in our minds. 
but not there. If we can think about that other world, we could see a connection, even if there was no one there to see it. That line absolutely positively brings to mind two things. The first thing is Lyra seeing Olivier Bonneville with the alethiometer. The second thing that that brings to mind, though, is the idea that when she sees Olivier, he almost looks like Will, and my heart, your heart, and Lyra's heart stopped, came out of our butts, like, freaked out, like, what is it, Will? But no, it was this punk-ass Kylo Ren, Olivier Bonneville, uh, and of course, now we have to wait. So, I don't know. I'm just saying that we might see Will. I'm starting to think that Lyra really, really desperately needs some closure to move on from her uh, 20-year-old phase that she's going through. And it makes sense, right? Pan fell in love with many other people in this time, but Lyra has not allowed herself to move on from Will. Uh, Pullman has said in interviews that Lyra is kind of hanging on these older men like Giorgio and, uh, of course, Malcolm, because she doesn't, she feels like it's safe. She doesn't want to cheat on Will. So there's a lot more that we'll be discussing about this. Uh, this Sunday, actually, we are recording with these guys about the Secret Commonwealth. So please tune in. We'll have it out on March 6th for the public. If you're not a patron, but patrons will get that episode for $5 and up monthly. Well, guys, I guess it's time to bring Eliana back. And we'll go from there. Well, Eliana, thanks for joining us back after the dusty discussion. We did miss you, and we did talk about you, just so you know. <sighs> Betrayal. I hope that someday you do go back after you finish The Secret Commonwealth and listen to these dusty discussions. I think it would very much so behoove you. Or you could just read our notes, but... I do plan to listen to it sometime. I have to um, figure out which ones, like, where we started doing them. Oh, smart. And then... Like, obviously, I'm not going to, like, re-listen to all of the episodes. <laughs> when did Chloe surpass Eliana? <laughs> yeah, I need an alethiometer, yeah. Tommy. I'll just put it out in the internet. Hey, can any of our listeners please tell me? <laughs> when did Chloe start doing these? When did Chloe, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, you guys, for listening. This has been chapters three and four of The Subtle Knife. We are going to be back next month covering... Hopefully the next couple chapters, if not the next three chapters, we will let you know when we figure it out. Yes. And again, this month, I am not joining, but you get a very, and by this month, I mean like next week, you get a very special episode of Chloe joined by guests Faye from Her Dark Materials and Ian and Amy from Dark Material Podcast. Um, I th I should like I'm gonna think I'm gonna breeze through like the secret commonwealth just so I can listen to that discussion. <laughs> well, uh, I hope you can get through it while you're gone for the next couple weeks, and you can join us refreshed and maybe ready to join the dusty discussion. Yeah, I mean it's eventually. kind of like a club that you don't get to be in. So maybe do you want me to like just stay out of it so that you keep having a cool club? No, I'll find a new club without you. <laughs> <laughs> Make my own new club. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in next month when we're covering more Subtle Knife. Be sure to keep up with our schedule by following us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, C-A-N-O-N. -N. Or if you want, you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Absolutely. Make sure you subscribe to us on the podcast platform where you listen to all of your podcasts. We can be found on many of them, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, you name it. Yeah. But you won't find me next week. I 
you know, having been one of your hosts, Eliana. Goodbye. (laughs) And I have been another one of your hosts, Chloe. See you guys soon. You guys, I wrote this short ditty. It was like, I want to know, can you show me? I want to know about John Perry. Oh my God. For Will going through the. Goodbye, you guys. Internet. Goodbye.